Well, before we hear God's word from Isaiah today, let's again go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for inviting us to come to your house, and thank you for working in us to bring us here today. Without your work, none of us would be here, and without your work, this, this body, this family would not exist. And so, Lord, we come to you with gratitude. We come to you with gratitude for baptism, for this sign and seal that you care for us and have promised to care for us. And, Father, we come to you with gratitude and expectation to hear your word. We pray that today you speak to us clearly through these verses in Isaiah. Help me to present clearly and help all of us to hear what you have to say to each one of us as you lead us forward through your word and your spirit. Amen. We are continuing our Isaiah, the Servant of the Lord series this morning as we will be this whole summer. Isaiah begins with chapter upon chapter upon chapter of judgment and trouble and and a really stern reality check for God's people. And then in these chapters that we're preaching through this summer, 40 to 55, the Lord begins to bring more and more grace and hope along with that reality that his people have fallen short and turned away from him. This morning, we're going to read from Isaiah 48, verses 12 to 22. The words will be on the screen. I'd invite you also to grab one of the Bibles and the benches and keep it open throughout the sermon just so you can follow along as we uh, reference the text and walk through it together. But now hear the word of the Lord, Isaiah 48, 12 to 22. Listen to me, O Jacob, Israel whom I have called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I summon them, they all stand up together. Come together, all of you, and listen. Which of the idols has foretold these things? The Lord's chosen ally will carry out his purpose against Babylon. His arm will be against the Babylonians. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I will bring him, and he will succeed in his mission." Come near me and listen to this. From the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret. At the time it happens, I am there. And now the sovereign Lord has sent me with his spirit. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only... If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants would have been like the sand, your children like its numberless grains. Their name would never be cut off nor destroyed from before me. Leave Babylon, flee from the Babylonians, announce this with shouts of joy and proclaim it. Send it out to the ends of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from them from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. This is the word of the Lord. My junior year, my high school teacher was Mr. Bill Ambron. And Mr. Bill, he was big, he was brash, he was from New York. And so he had a little bit of an accent that I can't replicate, but he also tended to be quite blunt. He was a great teacher, but he sometimes was a little bit maybe too loud. Personal problem. But 
But he told this story a few times that, well, he loved to play chess, and he started loving to play chess in college, and he thought he was pretty cool stuff, as a lot of college guys do. And so he joined the chess club, and he was sure after having read up on chess a little bit that he could, he could do this thing. And so he sat down, and he started playing, and he got wiped off the board. And he thought, well, that's weird. Huh, that guy must be really good. And so he plays the next game with the next person, and he gets just cleaned up. And he thinks, wow, they've got a lot of good players here. And then he plays the next game, and he loses again. And every single game he plays for a couple weeks, he just gets butchered on the chessboard. And so he realizes he just isn't getting it. So he goes to the school library, and he goes through all their chess books, and he finds this book, this book of all the games or all the recent games of a particular chess master. And he takes it back to his dorm room, and he puts it down on the table, gets out his chessboard, and he goes through the games move by move, this move, this move, this move, this move, this move, that move, that response, that counter-response. And after he's gone through all the games three or four times forward, he starts playing all of them backwards. This is checkmate, working back from this move to that move to the first move to the next move to the next move to the next move to the next move. And he spends a solid couple weeks, every free moment he has going through these games this move, that move, that move, this move. And over time, he starts to see the patterns. He starts to see how this move, the seventh move in the game, set up the 13th move in the game, which meant by the 16th move, it was checkmate. And he sees more and more of these patterns as he goes backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards through the book, backwards and forwards through the games, and he finally gets the master plan behind each of those victories. Well, for us today, Isaiah is a chess book. The Bible is a story of a master plan of God who, who works everything out. Now, we often, especially when we just take a surface look at it, we don't see the plan. But as we go through this book backwards and forwards, as we reflect on it together, as we talk about it, as we pray through it, as we, as we continue to go backwards and forwards and see all the moves that the Lord makes as part of His plan, well, then maybe we begin to really see the plan. Here in Isaiah 48, the, the text begins by calling us to really listen to the Lord, to really listen and to hear and to receive His plan. In verses 12 to 16, the Lord tells His people to listen three times in verses 12 and 14 and 16. And in each of those three points, He, he has a little different or a very different point He wants them to hear. In verse 12, he says, listen, and then he reminds them that he is the only God. He is the creator of everything. He is from the beginning to the end. That picture that we saw at the beginning of the service of, of far, far away galaxies and a nebula that is further away than our minds can comprehend, God made that. And at the same time that he is right here with us, he is right there in those and with those distant stars. Listen. The Lord is the creator, and he is great and mighty. And then in verse 14, again, in 14 and 15, the Lord tells his people to listen. And he makes the point that he is the one who controls and directs history. He upholds the world. He, he stretches out the universe, and then he controls the course of its development. Now, we don't, we don't get this reading now and just kind of glancing at it, but but Isaiah here is giving prophecy of what will come long, long after he writes these words. 
He talks about the Babylonian Empire, and the Babylonian Empire is, is going to come in the far distant future at this point and carry God's people off into exile. But it hasn't happened yet. But Isaiah sees the future through the Lord's prophetic gifting, and he talks about that. And then he talks about this new person who will come. And we think that Cyrus and the Persian Empire and Cyrus and the Persian Empire are going to come along in the mighty Babylonian Empire. Cyrus and the Persians are going to wipe out. Cyrus, in that moment, will be God's ally to do his work to wipe out the Babylonian Empire. And let me again invite you to really listen to this. This is all history that is decades, more than a lifetime down the road. And yet the Lord has it all planned out. This is the empire that will rise, the Babylonians. And because God's people, because you have been unfaithful, they will carry you off into exile. But I will remain faithful, and what will happen is I will direct history so another empire rises, Cyrus and the Persians, and they will destroy the Babylonian empire from the inside out, and then, then Cyrus will send you back to the promised land. God has every single move and counter move all planned out for his glory and for the good of his people. And in verses 14 and 15, he makes the point that there is no other so-called God, and there is certainly no king who is playing the same kind of game that the Lord God is. Even the mightiest empires and even the greatest kings are just small pawns in God's hand. And then we come to verse 16, and there's the third listen, and and this is actually strange. The English translation smoothed it out a little bit, but we should kind of go, What? Verse 16 is like if you're in a Zoom call or if you're a bit older and you used to have a party line where several houses shared the same phone line. It'd be like you're in a Zoom call and there's two of you talking and all of a sudden this third voice breaks in and starts speaking and you have no idea who it is or where it came from. And it seems like in verse 16 we, we begin to hear Jesus speaking. Listen, there's more to the story. Yes, Babylon will come. Yes, Cyrus will come. Yes, this, 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 this. But the center move will be the Lord himself coming through his word and then sending his spirit. That is the center of the plan from the very beginning. And God has all of this worked out. This, this text that we read for today begins with this, this call of God to listen to hear, to receive the reality that from the beginning to the end and all the way through every moment, God has a purpose and a plan. So listen to him. And now when the scriptures call us to listen to the Lord, they, they often are trying to generate a certain response and different texts want to generate different responses. And we're gonna spend the rest of the sermon talking today about three responses that these next few verses in Isaiah call us to. And the first response is for us to experience regret. This text invites us to truly experience regret, deep, abiding regret. I'm the Lord, says verse 17, and then in verse 18, regret. If only, if only. If only you had paid attention to my word, then, then peace like a river would fill your life, and, and your righteousness would be like the waves of the sea. If only... If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like an ocean. And then your descendants would have been, would have been like the sand on the seashore. 
So picture for a moment with Isaiah that, that you are standing by a mighty river and think of the Mississippi or the Missouri or some huge river beyond, almost beyond comprehension and, and think of all the water flowing past millions, billions of gallons. Think of peace like that. And now think of standing on the edge of, of Lake Michigan or on one of the oceans and seeing the waves come in and seeing wave after wave after wave after wave. And they, they were there long before any of us were born and they will remain long after all of us have passed away. And imagine a righteousness, a rightness, a holiness that you could have like that ocean. And now pick up, we won't even ask you to think about the whole beach, but, but pick up just a, a handful of grains of sand and try to count them. And those are all the blessings that the Lord has ready for his people. And yet here in Isaiah 48, the Lord says, you could have had all that, if only, if only, if only you had done this, it would have been. Look what could have been, says Isaiah, but you failed, you failed, you failed, you failed. You turned away again and again. And so now Isaiah leads them to this moment and shows them what they've missed, and it is it is heartbreaking. When I was maybe in middle school, maybe in high school, I can't remember exactly, there was an evangelist who came to the church I grew up in. His name was Bill Fay. And he, well, he had an interesting story. He had grown up non-Christian. He'd become very successful at business, president and CEO of a corporation, and also very successful in the underworld. As much as Denver has a mafia, he'd gotten pretty advanced in it. He ran the largest prostitution ring ever in the city of Denver. He was by his own standards, very successful. And then one day it all falls apart. People, people figure out what's going on and the company fires him because they don't really like their CEO having underworld ties and he gets pushed out and he's in jail and, and it's all over for him. And then God intervenes and, and draws Bill into a relationship with Jesus and, and somehow the criminal justice system totally mishandles the case and it gets dismissed and he walks out a free man. And the message Bill gets from God with that set of circumstances is I need to spend the rest of my life sharing about Jesus. So he develops this method. He, he starts out by asking people, well, got any kind of spiritual beliefs and just talks to them and asks them if they've ever considered Jesus. And then he has a few scripture texts. He just has them read and say, hey, what, what does that mean to you? Very non-confrontational, pretty relational. And he, he sits down with hundreds and thousands of people over the years. And so he comes to our church because some people have heard about him and, and he shares this method and talks about how we need to share and, and praise for us. And this was a, a church that really struggled with outreach and still does, honestly. But, but it was a good talk, good method, prayed for us. And then one of the people who'd invited him came up to, to grab the microphone and, and sort of thank him and kind of wrap up the evening. And, and this was Dean. And Dean was, was a really powerful business guy. He was shooting up the corporate ladder. He was always very together, dressed perfectly, perfect family, everything. And he got up and he picked up the microphone and he stood there for a minute and, and then tears started rolling down his cheeks. And then he tried to talk and he couldn't and, and then I just, I, I can't, I just, uh, 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 and he went on like that for a little while and then he started really crying. And then he started apologizing. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And finally, he had to sit down because he couldn't even stand anymore. And we still don't have any idea what he's broken up about. And then finally, he manages to get out. I've just missed so many opportunities. 
I've just, I've just, I've just missed so much. If only I had that kind of relationship with the Lord. If only I'd shared my so many opportunities. And I missed them all. And I missed them all. And I missed them all. And church, this is, this is the posture that Isaiah calls us to. To recognize that all of us do carry real regrets. To recognize even in ways that we often push down or stifle that, that we've missed it. We've turned away from the Lord over and over and over again. That in our sins of commission and our acts of omission, we have fallen short of the Lord's plan for us. And where could all of us have been spiritually if every time the Lord prompted us, we responded? And where could our church have been if, if every time the Lord invited us to step deeper into fellowship and discipleship with Him, if we had taken that opportunity every single time? What could have been? You know, I had one of those moments just a, a few days after Bill Fay came and talked. My brother and I were on a long bus ride, and we were sitting up front, and there was a driver in one of the area supervisors, and they were talking and talking. And the whole bus ride, I had this prompt. Ask him that question. Ask him that question. Just ask if they've got any kind of spiritual beliefs and see what happens. Once, twice, I pushed it away. Probably 50 times in the course of that ride, I pushed that question away, and we got off the bus and got on with life. And, and what could have been, what would have been, I will never know. And if you are willing to join me in being honest with yourself and honest with each other, all of us have, have reason to have some deep regrets. The Lord could come to each one of us and say, I, I opened up this door for you. Look what could have been and look what is and see the difference. And as hard as it is, we are called to really experience regret when the Lord comes to us and speaks his word to us because, because we have not measured up. We haven't. So Isaiah brings us to that place, and then it goes on, and verses, the verses after that call us not just to experience regret, but to embrace redemption. The text tells us to leave Babylon, to flee from the Babylonians, and, and the word there isn't flee like run away scared, it's more flee like jump up and take flight, and go, go because the Lord has set you free and you can go back home. Shout with joy and proclaim it, the Lord redeems his people. And Isaiah shows us how this will work by pointing back to Exodus and the wilderness wanderings of Israel. And he talks about how even when God's people were in the middle of a rocky desert, a land with no water, even there they did not thirst when they were in the desert because he made water flow from them, flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. In the middle of the desert, facing a rock with no resources left and lots of regrets, God provided for his people. And Isaiah's message, after people have really owned that they need to experience regret, is, is that redemption is coming. There is hope. As one commentator puts it, the, Lord, the people's unfaithfulness does not nullify the faithfulness of God. Even though the people turned away from the river of peace and the ocean of righteousness, God still brought the water to them. 
Now, I want us to get a little bit imaginative this moment, this, this morning. We're going we're gonna to jump to a couple New Testament texts. We won't read them. I'll just summarize them for you. But Isaiah here is pointing us toward a deeper reality. In 1 Corinthians 10, the beginning of that chapter, 1 Corinthians 10, the New Testament tells us that Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the rock. He was the one in the desert when the people didn't have enough that was there for them. He is the one here in Isaiah who the people should look to and and should hope to receive salvation from. All the way through from the beginning to the end with every single move that God made and every single move that people made, God was planning to have Jesus come and save us. And Jesus himself was broken for us so that we could live. And then in John 7, John 7, verses 37 to 39, Jesus stands up, and he's at this great big Jewish festival, and he he just yells out, it seems like kind of unexpectedly for everybody, if anyone's thirsty, let them come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the Spirit, says the text. So start at the end of the game and play it back. And you see how Jesus' work builds up and fulfills this promise made here in Isaiah. And start at the beginning and play it forward, and you see how from the very beginning, God promised that Jesus would come and save us from all the things that we need to regret. And play it from the back, and you can see how the Spirit who came down on us is is promised earlier and active earlier, preparing the way for God's work. And play it forward and you see how the Spirit who is promised here comes and and fills our lives and assures us and makes us clean and brings us closer and closer to the Lord. Play the game forward and backward and you see God's plan. You see God's plan that even takes account of all of our screw-ups and all of our wrong turns and all of our bad moves and incorporates them to His glory and to our good. You know, we saw a little... A picture of that today when we when we pour out these waters when we see the waters of baptism put on one of our covenant children when these waters are poured out we are reminded that that Jesus Christ was broken and his blood his blood was shed to save us from all our regrets And when we baptize in the name of the Holy Spirit, we are reminded that it is the Spirit who brings us life. And that even now in Ethan, even now in all of us, the Lord is pouring forth His goodness and His grace. Experience, embrace, redemption. The Lord has His game plan all worked out. So in that church, a couple decades ago, a bit more than that, as Dean was sitting there just broken, crying out his regrets. Bill, Bill Faye, the evangelist, walked over to him, and he didn't say, pull yourself together, man. And he didn't say, yeah, that's right, you sure have messed up. And he didn't say, buy my book and my brochures and my tapes, and they'll show you how not to be like this man. He didn't do any of that. He just walked up to Dean, and he put his, put his hand on his shoulder for a minute, and then he said, it's okay, brother. It's okay. It's been paid for. It's been paid for. For the blatant sinner, for the hesitant saint, it's all been paid for. No regrets, brother. 
Much work to do, but no regrets. It's all been paid for. So shed your tears, own your regrets, but brother, it's all been paid for. Brothers and sisters, it's all been paid for. It's all been paid for. We need to plumb the depths of our regret to really understand the joy of Jesus buying us, buying us back, but Jesus has paid it all. And so whatever your regrets are, whatever mistakes that you just shy away from mentally, whatever moments that you have to say, if only I could have that back, God has it all planned out. And when Jesus' body was broken and blood was shed, he had that in mind, and he paid it all. Now, honestly, I'd like to stop there, and I recognize we're getting close to 1030, so I will stop soon, but... But I can't stop there because the text doesn't stop there. The text goes on in verse 22, this last verse that we read for today. It's kind of weird at the end of this, actually. You should, you should if you read it carefully, kind of go, where did that come from? Because verse 22 feels a little bit like a slap in the face. It tells us, really respond. Yes, God is gracious. Yes, you need to have no regrets, but... But there's no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And why is that there? It would be nice if we could just end on experience, embrace redemption, yay, hooray. And there is reason to be yay, hooray about embracing redemption. But there is this real challenge. And the Lord knows us. And he knows that we, what we will tend to do is to hear the good news and just leave it sit. Leave it on the pew next to us and walk out feel good about things and put the book back on the shelf and what the lord wants to do is actually to move us deeper into his redemptive plan now if we think of the people of isaiah's time they didn't change when they heard this news and even the people who were exiled to babylon and and eventually were offered the chance to come back well most of them didn't come back 90 some percent of god's exiled people when they had the chance to flee babylon said no i'm good i don't need it Good enough here. But Isaiah comes and tells us, flee Babylon because there is no life for the wicked. And if we don't really lean into this, then we'd be like if if Mr. Ambron went and he went through all those chess games and he went through it again and again and worked it backwards and forwards and said, wow, that was really interesting. I'm going to play the game my way. And then he would lose. But what the Lord calls us to is to Yes, to truly experience our regret, but then to really respond and to really embrace his redemption. Listen today. Whatever your spiritual health is, whatever whatever you're coming from, listen to the Lord today. He has made a wonderful offer. And don't pass this moment by. Don't lose this chance to put your if only and your what have been to the side and and to step into a new life, to flee whatever Babylon you've been living in and to grab hold of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus is because of his death and resurrection, because because of his work on our behalf, you need have no regrets. It's all been paid. It's all been paid. So today, again, respond by embracing the redemption that Jesus Christ brings us. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your rock 
and for the living water that you give us. Lord, we pray that you help us to draw near to Jesus Christ. Help us to find in him a steadiness and a place to stand that that all the troubles of this world cannot take away. And Lord, we pray that you put within within each one of us streams of living water. We pray that you work through your spirits, that we really do experience the rivers of peace that you promise us, and so that we are able to live in the ocean of righteousness that you have prepared for all of your people. Lord, we fail so often. We have so many regrets. Help us to see Jesus and more and more work through your spirit so that we live in and for and with you always. Amen.